Strategy. Design. Marketing. UX. Digital. Development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are. Varun, my friend, how are you? Are you enjoying the uh, wonderful stormy tropical weather we've been having here in Massachusetts recently? Uh, I've never seen that much of rain before. It I is heard like it was crazy unbelievable. Yeah. I know. I had a fallen tree in my backyard just because of that rain. Ooh. I need to get that rid of that. So anyway, who, who do we have today? Today's That's guest. Not. I'm looking forward to it because, of course, we've been chatting before we started recording. <laughs> um, so today's guest is the creator of a leading front-end application design and development agency that specializes in designing and developing design systems for web applications. Um, say that 10 times fast. With two decades of experience in managing and designing large-scale responsive websites, he's an expert in planning and executing front-end strategies for responsive websites with a mobile-first approach. His creativity, technical expertise, and eye for detail are unmatched, and his, dedicated to de his dedication to delivering exceptional user experience is unwavering. I am happy to welcome founder and CEO of Southleft, TJ Petrie. Welcome to the show. Good for the podcast. I know Varun is going to mix things up. He's got an icebreaker question. Go. Let's hear Let's it. Right. I'll, I'll start with asking you, what is the greatest, what is the most difficult thing that you have done in your life? Wow. My most difficult thing that I've done in my life. You're putting him on the spot. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like saying like, what's can, your I'll, favorite I'll, food? I can start. I can start. You Put me in a ball field. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, because this is so fresh in my mind because I'm going through that right now. I signed up last week for this hard 75 challenge which basically mm. is, I don't know if you guys heard of that. It's yep. like 45 minutes yep. workout, two times, one food. So, and then the third is that I think uh, you do three, 10 pages a, a day, and then you take a picture of yourself and post it and all of that. For me, it, all of that is fine. The biggest thing would be for me to have no sugar. So this is like eighth day of no mm -hmm. sugar for me. And I have like, you know, like sweet, Tooth, I, I love, I enjoy sweet so much. And I never had no sugar for that much or that many days. And I have, I'm just into eighth day right now. I have like 77 more days or 67 more days to go. It's so this is amazing. like already so hard. Yeah. When you get to the end. So I don't, you don't know if you know this, I'm type two diabetic. So I've gone through like sugar detoxes and things like that in the past. The moment you get to eat a little bit of sugar after this whole thing, it's going to taste so delicious. It's like one of those opposite <laughs> moments where you go through this hard thing and then you eat it and you're like, oh, this is so like eating a strawberry or eating an apple was like the best thing ever. You know, when it's I like your taste that. buds like they reset like, i guess when you're when you're always yeah it's like a, mm -hmm. sweet things taste sweeter when you, oh, when you get to that amazing point. and things that you didn't realize were sweet taste so like a lemonade man just you wait it's going to be worth that. it i don't have a giant sweet tooth but i like i i appreciate like like bold flavors so i that sounds like something i, I might want to do just to be able to reset my my sweet taste buds how you feel, Rune? Is it like, do you feel different, more energetic or less energetic, sluggish? I haven't really felt anything different yet. I mean, I'm definitely more tired because I'm now doing workouts every day. Um, I've never done that consistently. I mean, I've done consistently, I mean, three or four times a week, but now every day, 45 minutes. That, that's like, I mean, my body's definitely, you know, telling me, showing signs of tiredness, but it's still doable. I don't mind that. Yeah. I love I love that type of tiredness, but it's a sweet that kills me. So you still have the cravings if they all yeah. They go away. Uh, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. We'll my see. wife and I did um so I have my scary thing now, but I just I just wanted to comment on on yours. We did we're ketogenic 
lifestyle for a while, which pretty much eliminated all sugar and then like mm -hmm. anything like, you know, very limited amounts of carbohydrates. And, and she was more of a sweet tooth. So it was really hard for her to give up things like cookies and candy. I, I don't consider myself a sweet tooth. The things that I probably had the most trouble with was like pizza because like I love making pizza and like I call myself an amateur pizziola because I just love traditional Neapolitan style margarita pizza cooked in a brick oven. I even made my own little kind of hack, like regular, like how to get my own house oven up to the highest possible temperature without setting my house on fire uh, to make it almost get that leopard spotted skin. But giving cool. those things up in pasta, just like I love like the four traditional pastas, uh, cacio e pepe, like giving up those things was the most difficult part. But there was a moment like... I don't know, I want to say like seven or eight days in where it almost felt like there was like this um, uh, brain fog that I didn't know I had and, and it was lifted and it felt as though like I was, this is going to sound wild, but I was having like an out-of-body experience. It was almost as like, like my spirit was elevated above me. And I remember being in this meeting where I'm like watching myself talking, but I'm not aware of the next thing I'm saying. And I'm just like coaching myself from like the spiritual level going, yeah, you did a good job there, TJ. This is this is actually really working out well for you. That part was cool. It wasn't sustained. And we did the keto thing for, I don't know, probably like eight months or so. And then started to just kind of waver as soon as like we kind of hit that the body type and, and the, you know, we were doing a lot of fasting in between too, because this has been like the the autophagy was, was a big popular term. But um, yeah. now we kind of stabilized. And now we just, we... We dial back on the gluten and we dial back on the sweets just because we're getting older and like those things affect us differently now. So, so I can feel you on, on the, uh, on, on the sugar thing. Uh, I, I do have the occasional tempting for, for something sweet, but I try to limit the brownies. Those are probably my go-to sweet tooth items. Yeah. Back to your original question though. Yeah. The scary thing. Um, the scary thing, I think for me in the, I, this this is probably going to be a little more personal, but um, becoming a father for the first time, and and uh, I'm sure it's scary for everybody, but I was always under the impression that I probably wasn't going to have any kids. Like I grew up just thinking like like I, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to go and travel, and this is before influencers and everything. I just had this this like this uh idea that i was gonna get into you know this tech world and in uh and then you know be that person who's on uh, uh, a cot in bermuda you know using wi-fi from somewhere <laughs> and then getting my work done like that i remember going on vacations and seeing other people lounging by pools on computers going like i want that lifestyle and that's what i want and it, it sounds like it sounds uh superficial uh, but I was just so keen on like being independent. And then I married and my wife and I kind of saw eye to eye on that too. We were both like, you know, we, we really want to do this thing. So we ended up moving to New York. We lived in Manhattan for five or six years and, uh, you know, worked for, for uh, large enterprise level organizations and thought that was going to be the thing until we hit like our mid thirties. And that was when it was like, you know what, like the honeymoon era of living in New York was over. We've already teetered into that downhill side of living in New York, where it was like, this is the grueling part. No offense to the New Yorkers or anything, but it just always felt like when I'm leaving my apartment complex, like I'm on, that's it. Showtime. Like I got to merge into the, the, the interstate of people and then, you know, file into my subway line and you know, go where I need to go for the day. It was all a wonderful experience. I don't regret any of it. But uh, uh, when we moved, I live in New Orleans now. So originally from New Orleans, came back down to New Orleans and uh, and then uh, immersed ourselves into the culture, bought a house. And then we're like, I guess what's next? You know, do we, I guess let's, let's, let's have a kid. Giving up that sense of like independence that like I can go out whenever because we come from a big family of of foodies like 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 staying on top of food trends and what the next new restaurant or bar or whatever was opening was like our thing you know like oh like let's get family and friends invite to this you know this new place and and like I said this all sounds superficial now that I'm a dad with a third child on the way uh had like trying to keep one foot in that lifestyle while having another foot in the, I'm going to, I'm taking care of this new thing that I created lifestyle 
was the hardest and most difficult transition because it wasn't always like conscious. Like it was all these like subconscious things that were happening that you only realize until you're in it. And then you're like, wait, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like, these are the things that, that I just can't, this, this isn't an option now that I, cause now I'm taking care of this human being. I just remember the moment when we bought and everybody who's had the kid has probably had this moment, but we had the car seat all set up in the back and, uh, in, in our, in our first child did a little, like a three or four a day stint in NICU, uh, but nothing serious and such a small little creature, you know, and, uh, and and the nurse wheels us my wife out and and uh we got the car pulled up in the uh, under the overhang of the the hospital and then she puts the baby in the baby seat and then she's like bye and we're like all right this is this is it we, i just remember <laughs> turning around and looking at this little thing going all right this is this is this is the next chapter this isn't even the next chapter this is like the next book like this is this is like the next book in the series of like of our of the, the lives of, of the petries so difficulty wise, that transition to me was, was, uh, uh, but also like it, it's, it turned me into a, a brand new person that I'm excited to be into somebody I never knew I would have been if, uh, if I didn't jump headfirst into this, this new experience. And now look at me, like, I love it so much. I went and had two and now I got a third one on the way. So I fully, I fully embraced the adulthood lifestyle and completely detached myself from any of the thoughts of what I don't even know new restaurants are coming out anymore. <laughs> can i just say ditto like, literally like everything you just said although i'm we're good at one like we're we're one and done we, you we, know, we for, said that for six years no no <laughs> there's a whole there's a story for not a podcast episode that like i won't go into we're good gotcha. one and done our, 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 her sibling is lying here on the floor and has four legs so gotcha. i respect you know, that <laughs> like I, I would say that's i would say also too like if I can add one and then we'll go to the myth busting question in our usual conversation. So I'm going to say exactly what he's, wherever he is on the screen, but exactly what he said. So another scary one for me, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like starting an agency, like going to work for yourself. And so like I did it, you know, I've done some stuff on the side, but I've always had regular income from various, I've worked at agencies and in-house and all of the things. And this is like, I know it's, it's, timely for the conversation we're about to have but it really is there's this moment of entrepreneurship that you go oh I just signed a really big client and I actually have to do all the things that I listed in the contract and I have to do them like me there isn't anybody else there isn't anybody else to like work with there isn't anybody else and like you have this and you're looking at your bank account going I'm not gonna you know fortunately I have a partner you know my husband is would pay the bills and you know we it was a decision we made together but it was like now what like what 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 are we doing you know is this real like I have to do all the things like you know bringing my daughter home from the hospital it's like oh we got to keep that alive otherwise we go to jail (laughs) (laughs) same principles apply right (laughs) right. it's like you gotta you gotta pay the bills otherwise they take your house (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I can relate uh, to that too. It's a, it's a, that's a close second for me as well. Yeah, I would say, and again, full circle, like you know, it's the the lifestyle change. I, cheesily enough, it's like finding out it was like a spontaneous. I don't feel well. Oh, by the way, you're diabetic. Um, which I could talk about forever because it's one of the best things that ever happened, and we will not go into it right now because you understand. I okay. love food. We were big foodies, like you guys. And it's like, you understand how food affects your body differently. This is like so off topic, but that was an old, yeah, no, we should talk later well. about this. I got a lot of, yeah. I got a lot of things that, that different diabetics yeah. in my family. And then we've also done a lot of research on some different diets and stuff that, 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 that tend to, uh, uh, trend with like what, what diabetics typically the diet of a, a diabetic. Well, and everybody's yeah, a little bit chat. different, you know, the way that it kind of works. So we are so off topic. I'm going to bring us back. Yeah, um, so, okay. So that was a good icebreaker. We should do that more often for you. And I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, you thank know, you. Maybe we'll- Good luck with the 75 hard, man. Yeah. I'm going to check yeah, in with you yeah. in 30 days. I know. We all <laughs> Please want to do. Be my accountability partner, you know, just make sure I'm on track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, TJ, here we go. So what's some sort of myth, bogus strategy, misconception that you would like to set the record straight on? What do you got? Oh, um, all right. So 
so I, I don't know if it's a myth uh, or it's probably more of a uh, of a strategy and I don't come after me other agencies but <laughs> um, the, the joy of this podcast managers. is everybody has a different opinion and it works for the way that their agency is built that's one of the things that's really really fun about these episodes is we've had such conflicting ways of managing so don't just just put yeah. it out there so I'll say what the, so this is one that I think in the 11 years of us being um, around that depending on the types of people you hire in in what they're good at what their skill sets are in both in like skills that they've obtained on their own that they just just through lifestyle and then skills that they obtain through academics like so like like uh, coding whatever like like stuff stuff that that they actually went to school for if you hire the right people and that's usually where it comes from it's like putting the upfront work in all the legwork in the beginning and then going through the, the due diligence of of uh, having that person meet with the right people so that way everybody kind of gives their own opinion because there's certain keen things that everyone's looking for in in a person's personality and a person's experience level their skill sets uh, all of those things we've managed to go all 11 years without having um like a tier of account management and in the way it, the way that we've done this is by hiring uh an experienced uh level of project managers who kind of almost account almost work as account managers in a way because it's, it's they're just such wonderful human beings to interact with we also have uh direct connections with the developers and designers that that are on the projects so in past experiences where we've coupled with other um, or partnered with other organizations or worked with um, uh, or have been subcontracted through uh, through other other groups uh, or even working where we hire services where where you know the, the their software or or whatever it is that that we're that we're uh, signing up for when it's a developer like like myself like uh, like my background's in design and development and I want to speak to a, a developer because I think I know what the problem is with this service that I'm buying. And I know that it needs to be like, like, can you, can you, you know, up, up, up the memory limit on the server because I'm getting server timeouts. There's like a person that I have to talk to right here that I have to say, Hey, I, this is the problem. And it's like, can, but I totally get the idea of there's workflows that have to happen sometimes to be able to track all these conversations that are happening and then route it to the specific person who's going to make that edit. Sometimes it's a little frustrating to go through that extra step because sometimes I feel like it's an unnecessary step. So I think we've successfully uh, like eliminated that that barrier because uh, I know it sometimes can be a barrier to some some uh, some groups that we, that we work with specifically in the industries that we work with. And one of the things that we try to um, stick with as part of like our core values is like this clarity and transparency and open line of communication. And by having like just the project managers and the the actual resources, like the the the, the producers, the people who are actually creating the the designs of code, as at the forefront, always accessible, has helped us eliminate that tier. Of course, I get brought in sometimes as like or as the check check in you know, quite often with the clients just to confirm, hey, is everything going well? And then we do have one uh, business relationship specialist uh, who's just kind of the overseer of are you good? Kind of throughout the whole throughout the whole agency. His his job also entails a lot of proposals, uh, the proposal creation, checking in on contracts, uh, you know, up and updating, renewing contracts. Uh, in a, a litany of other things because he stays very, very busy. But I don't know if it's a myth, myth, but it's just something that we've been able to succeed without and succeed and continue growing without. I'm not saying like if we ever hit the threshold of like 35 people on our team, there may be a moment when we're like, you know what? I think I think the developers are getting, because we're very, we try to be very conscious of burnout. Uh, if they're trying to manage their own projects, like actually like get tickets done that, that are being followed in within their sprints, then there may be the need to pull in some additional levels in there to help buffer between PMs and and uh, and, and, and the, the developers. But we haven't hit that 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 point yet. I'm curious so give to some, back on it. 
to give some context, I would like to hear um, who who is your end client? Who do you work with? When uh, you, what type of clients do you have? Because I assume some of that also depends on the type of clients you have. Um, so maybe just add some yeah. context to that. Sure. So most of the time, Southwest is more more behind the scenes uh, type of uh, agency where the I would say eighty percent of the types of relationships that we have are normally augmenting larger digital teams. So it'll be the person that we're mainly interfacing with is be like a COO of like a like an enterprise organization or like a, like a product manager um, uh, uh, or it could be a combination of a couple of people like that. Uh, that's like forty percent of that side. And then the other is partnering with other, organizations, digital agencies that offer complementary services. So it could be um, like one that offers very complex UI design, it could be PR firms, it could be SEO agencies, uh, and they'll do some courting of a relationship or they'll have, they'll have a line to a good lead. And they're saying, we can't fulfill this within the services that our agency uh, provides. And they need heavy duty front end engineering. And then they'll call us in, and then and then we'll we'll go in there and kind of be that 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 portion of that project. Yeah. And then they're like at the very bottom is like is like kind of like the direct consumer type site where somebody found us through LinkedIn or somebody found us through like outbound like some 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 kind of way somebody mentioned our name and then we'll get a an email cold inquiry and. We'll vet those pretty thoroughly, and then once we determine whether or not this is this is a good this is a good fit for us, then we'll proceed with it. Those are those are usually the the not as frequent ones, but uh, but it's mainly the augmentation of other teams and then partnering with uh, uh, other other agencies that have similar services or complementary services. I have a teeny tiny quick question. Um you had mentioned earlier that you do take initiative and check in with clients, you know, as a founder, it's a, do you, not having account management, totally get it. You know, it is a misconception that you guys have made it work that without it, especially with your, you know, well-versed silent assassination team, um, silent assassins, I think is what you call them. Um, but do you check in with all clients and just say, hey, I'm the founder. I want to know how your project went. Or is it select clients? Like, how do you, because I know that's something at various agencies I've worked with and for, some people do, some people don't. It's even like a question with CEOs, like, oh, this client, you know, when I'm, when, I, when I've worked in-house, should I check in with this client? Are they, you know, are they okay? And it kind of like raises a red flag sometimes on the client. Why is the CEO contacting me? But I get different yeah. in the agency world. I'm curious on your perspective with that because I know that's that's always up. Like, do we or do we not? How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and it is selective. So it's selective in most of the ones that I check in on are the ones that came through personal relationships through me. So there's a lot of ones where it'll be through somebody that I had worked with when I worked at, at Martha Stewart or somebody or or mm -hmm. somebody who referred us and. It looks it, it would look bad on the person who referred us if we weren't doing good. So in, in cases like that, I feel inclined to check in to say, are we doing good? There's a lot of other ones where our PM team will do a lot of the business development for us because a lot of the ways that our our business grows isn't through outbound marketing or 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 like cold calls or anything like that or social. It's usually through projects that we already have now. And it's either through uh, us us uh, working through a phase one and then and then turning a phase one into a phase two and then so on and so on, or branching out into like completely separate projects under that same client. Or it could be we work with that client and that client really enjoyed our relationship and then referred us to like a friend of theirs and then and then we'd end up go working with them. Um, but that's kind of that's the the main types of people, I guess I would check in on to make sure that if they're, if it's a relationship that stemmed from personally through me, then it's one that I want to make sure that, that they're, they're, they're in good hands. But if it's relationships that our project management level uh, uh, created, and, and it's kind of more up to them to make sure that th those things are going well. But I agree with you. It would be weird if there's a project that my face was never shown on, and all of a sudden I'm dipping in and going, 
hey, what's going on, y'all? Is everything good here? Because then it makes it almost seem like my my team isn't doing a good job. And I'm that 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 I could see how people would be a little concerned about why the CEO would be stepping in. Or even if like they set the expectation, you know, if it's part of the process or just, Hey, we don't have an account management. I'm going to be your main point of contact. I want to let you know that our founder checks in with all of our clients throughout the process. Like if it's communicated that way, maybe it would feel a little more natural versus like, I I know you mentioned it. That's why I was like, huh. I wonder if he checks in with all the clients because it's definitely something. That's the role of our business relationship specialist. So he Uh, he is involved with every contract, whether it's a maintenance contract, whether it's a phase, whether it's an addendum, whether it's a brand new lead. So everybody, every project is aware of who he is. And so hearing from him, whether or not it's a relationship that I've created with somebody or somebody that a project manager uh, obtained a relationship with or- or, or, He's on the short list regardless. uh, He's, he just, he rides that right in that middle line. And then like, so he's, he's good with everybody. And, and like, he's all, he's the person who's, so the project workflow usually ends up being like the courting phase where it's him or I or him and I kind of working through whether or not this project is like a mutual beneficial fit for, for both of our teams. And then we kind of enter into this like uh, contractual phase where we, we discuss uh, the, the proposal, the SOW, whether or not we're going to do a discovery and then and, and what a schedule looks like. At the point of initiation, where the project's like 80% gonna land, we bring in a producer. The producer is kind of like a like a PM and an yep. account manager who straddles both of those lines before a project is executed. And then after the project, after the contract is executed, the producer kind of sits along that side. And then when the project starts, we have a kickoff, then that producer and there's a, a, a like an executing project manager who goes into that project. And that's the person who's the the glue. Uh, that that's holding that project together to the for the foreseeable future, but everybody who's involved in that project gets a taste of who the producer is and and who that that business relationship special is. So it shouldn't be any surprise if they hear from either of those people throughout the whole project. That's good. Well, it's also like question. someone gets hit by a bus. Sorry, Varun. <laughs> yeah, we have a bus. We have coverage. <laughs> yeah, or win the lottery. We call it win the lottery. Nobody wants to. It, this isn't Mean Girls. Oh, that's a that's a yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah, right? yeah. You can steal it. <laughs> So we also don't eat dog food. We drink champagne. <laughs> I have a question on your uh, role for the relationship specialist because that sounds like a very interesting role, very important role in terms of build, maintaining the you know um, that account. How do you define um, what all activities that that person has to do? I mean, I imagine like yes, there is this. You know, you have this is a scope of work, or this is these are the roles and responsibilities you have to do. But when you write it that way, that is still very, you know, it is not measurable. So I wonder if there is some measuring factors or you know metrics that you have that that person has to check all these boxes every month, like some some sort of some sort of scorecard which they can maintain that these are the things that you have to do for each and every account. Um, is there something like that you, you maintain uh, to make sure that every account is being you know covered and you know yep. that person is not missing anything? Yeah. So the 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 role is probably twenty five percent strategy, seventy five percent tactical work, and a lot of that tactical work is what you had just mentioned. It's almost like like checking the boxes to make sure all these things are done in a recurring fashion. So there's always going to be the things that are occurring in projects while the projects are, are happening now. So, so there's never any, there's, there's with this role in, in, uh, I'm always very conscious of burning out with, 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 uh, with this, with this person in particular, but there's never any shortage of things to do the, at the, there's always uh, uh, two things that that would happen all the time: checking your clients to get a temperature check to make sure everything is good, and if not, you know, we go down a different flow chart. Like we look at why, and then and then we start to unhash reasons why things might be going on, and then we assemble another team to help fix if anything's on fire. Luckily, that's not that's not the case most often. Uh, the other part is there's always generating leads, like to looking to new ways of generating leads, whether it's uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Rinaldi, calls it old gold. Uh, so, like, whether or not it's it's looking into like like rekindling old relationships with people, and then so he's like the master of our notion. So we keep everything in notion, and 
he's a master notion user. And so he has all these relational databases between projects and people and everything. So uh, he does a great job with that. Maintaining that is probably a job in and of itself, but uh, going through that. So there are things that, that if, if it's a, let's say it's a week where it's not heavy in proposal land or contract land or, you know, addendums and, and uh, any kind of like, like administrative uh, business administrative stuff, then that's usually when it goes to like, what's the recurring tactical things? We need to start checking in with clients. We need to continue to check in with clients. He has all these dates set up with reminders of like, okay, it's been two weeks since we checked on this project where it was before this project had like a 65% chance of, of leading. Uh, and then, and then uh, let's check in to see where we're at now and then see if that, that number ends up getting uh, nudged up or, or dialed back a little bit. Um, and then there's the, there's the reaching back to the, to the, the, the list of leads. So there's this, just this long list of leads that we have that we'd like to get out two or three a week, which would be great. And these aren't AI generated. These aren't, these aren't like, like templated things or anything. This is legitimate people who we've met or know from our past. And then we always write them a heartfelt, uh, uh, uh email with, with, the goal is to have zero sales pitch in it. Like the, the idea is to say, Hey, like I like it, we're in the same industry. We know how this goes. I am, I'm reaching out to say, Hey, I just want to be at the top of your mind just in case anything, I don't care. I don't know what you got going on, but I'm here and I'm around and I don't, I just don't want you to forget about me. And uh, I remember the path project that we had worked on uh, uh, previously. And I remember really enjoying it and, and we had a good time with it. Um, other things that he does is a lot of, uh, interesting strategy work. So we, he's, this, this is a particular thing where he's not hired for this. He just ended up having to come with this amazing copy edit background in, uh, that's uh, a win right a, there. He's a wonderful writer and a very cerebral, like thinker. Like he's just, he's, so he, he, he has this, we created like a client matrix. Like it's like all these things where it's, you know, there's a, a, a way that, that people get plotted in certain areas to determine whether or not that it's worth doing more business with, or should we, we have them with clients, we have them with industries, we have them with project types to where we can determine whether or not uh, are these the ones that we should be chasing? And there are a lot of them are automated. It's based on us plotting uh, 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 values in like, a, a, I think he's got it in a Google form at this point. And then it spits out these numbers that then manifest themselves on a graph. So anyway, that's, that's just touching the iceberg, tip of the iceberg on the, the types of stuff that he does. And a lot of that stuff, it's, uh, it's the goals for those, what you mentioned earlier is like, how do you create a goal? It's like the goals are, how do we get better at these things? Like, how do we get better at generating leads? How do we do things that aren't like, we all, we all get, you know, a dozen emails or so a week from people who, you know, are just services spitting out these emails. I know because my name's TJ, T capital J. And when I get a T lowercase J, I know it's a, this isn't, this is coming from a, uh, this is, this is like a, an automated email and, and that's it. And sometimes you'll get like the high curly bracket name, you know, like the variable didn't make it inside of the, the, mm -hmm. the slot. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's all about like the, like he, a lot of the role he defines for himself and, and, uh, what we do is just try to give him the, 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 the open road to be able to do it. Cause we know he's, he's a smart cookie and, and he's able to kind of like figure out and like say, all right, this is the way they're doing it. It's obviously not working. Let's try this way and see how, see what sticks. Well, now I know if I need to spam you that I should put T capital T and capital J so that you don't ignore <laughs> well, me. You got to make that, you got to make that J capital. <laughs> and it, it's great. It sounds like it's, it, it, ha, it could be its own uh, topic of a podcast to just go through the process that you, that you described. Um, I'm also curious because you mentioned about your uh, PMs who play a role of biz dev kind of in a way. So how do you train them? How do you guide them to think from that perspective of growing the business, right? Because when we hire PM, I mean, most of our companies where they have PM, they just stick to their specific role of, you know, we need to manage this scope of work and just get this to finish line. Mm -hmm. To, have, to make them think beyond that, to make them think that this could be a bigger opportunity and identify more opportunities from that account is, I don't know, how do you 
how do you do that? So share some wisdom on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our secret is invest in your PMs. PMs can do more for you than what you would think that they could do. So like a, a lot of times PMs on, on, uh, within agencies are like, let's just make sure this project is initiated. Let's make sure there's a schedule. Let's make sure it stays on budget. Let's make sure the client is happy or maybe that could be your account manager person. Let's have our recurring check-ins. You know, let's, let's make sure that the, at the end of the project that, that we've executed on time and within budget. And then we call that a successful project. That's great. That's like the baseline for like what's expected of a PM. Good PMs have like like emotional awareness and technical ineptitude. Like they understand the, the intricacies of like what a software development lifecycle is. And so within the process of having these, like and so we do a lot of uh, uh, we do a lot of what we do is agile, like agile with capital A. Like we do a lot of scrums and sprint grooming and all those types of things, and. Uh, in these processes, in these within these workflows, we kind of have these like built-in check-ins to see whether or not there are items to be added to this project that are out of scope. And then those are opportunities. Whenever we hear out of scope opportunities, then that's a phase two, or that's an addendum, or we can address that at another time. And the PMs have this awareness to like to lean into that and say. All right, I love what you're saying here. I think that's great, and it's kind of like the compliment sandwich. It's like, like, um, I, I really, yes, I really no, like yes. what you're saying. Unfortunately, we can't take care of that right now. But what we could do is, as soon as this is done, we could follow up with an addendum, and then we can go ahead and scope that, and then prioritize it, and then estimate it, and then and then execute on that at a later date. So they it they all do that, and and it's just it comes with their past experience. Like I can't I can't speak highly enough of our PM team. Uh, they're they're all like acutely aware of where those opportunities lie within because they're the ones who are the developers speak to the the uh, the the clients often the developments kind of do biz dev by doing good job like by 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 like just yeah. like wow like what happens a lot of them, naturally yeah. yeah yeah so they don't actually have to like really listen for cues. They're just they're good at what they do, so the automatically it's and it's 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 a wonderful experience when you're in a demo and there's somebody like demoing uh, you know some the results of a UX discovery, and the room is just filled with delight and you could feel it you know it's just the vibe in the room that develop that designer that developer just just gave us a good dose of business development so that that means that they're happy and then then hopefully we can sustain that 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 happiness level throughout the course of the project. PMs are more like listening for cues along the way. So they're looking at the eyes of the of the clients and then they're like, okay, they're liking this. Like there could be some opportunities that you'll hear like, you know what, I'm seeing what you designed there. I really feel like that area can use the Salesforce integration. And then that's a cue for the PM to say, I love that. That sounds like a great idea. I think that could really increase your whatever it is. Uh, I know it's not something I'm going to go ahead and jot that down and we're going to communicate about that in a later date. And then they might have some side conversation where they discuss those things and then hopefully it spins into another project. But yeah, I, that's that the right now, like it's the business development is like split into to like different uh, ratios across all of us uh, within, within the team. Um, and that's, that's how, that's how we've gotten this far. <laughs> So I hate to break it to you, but I feel like you do have, while you don't have account managers, there are people who They're are, built in. it's like built into, you know, good finding a project manager with that level of like intuitive awareness. Um, and you, you called it a compliment sandwich. I call it yes, no, yes. You know, it's the same <laughs> idea of being able to build that rapport and respect with the client to say, I love it. Let me put it on the short list. We'll Absolutely. talk about it later. Not for today's project. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does good. Like when I was going, it's when I had mentioned in the beginning about the myth of it, I, I wanted to stress it really is about the hiring part. It's like mm -hmm. depending, it's like knowing that you have a developer or a designer who is, is, open to communicating, not just uh, uh, sitting in the dark and, and, and doing their thing. We, yeah. That's okay too. You know, everybody has their well, own project the types. Right that they, they, exactly. 
But with the, the PMs, there's that awareness that, that we look for in the hiring process that could fulfill what would potentially would normally be uh, somebody who's uh, made for an account manager. Well, let me ask you about that. How do you, you know, outside of hiring for somebody who fits that mold perfectly, do you train for it? Do you, you know, are there ongoing, like if you find someone who's like, mm, we need a little bit more handholding, or if you're in the middle of like what, what I've called a succession planning in terms of getting more junior people in who may not know, like how do you guys internally support that PM growth and yep. teaching them how to do those sort of things? Or do you, I guess is the question I should ask. Uh, so a couple of things, a lot of yeah. things actually. Um, there's uh, courses that we, so at the very lowest level, that's usually a part of everybody's goal, including developers, because we open this up to the whole team. We use these, these courses called Star 12 courses, and we enroll uh, the whole team in them. And then we add a couple of goals to their gusto, and then, and then they're able to pick and choose whichever one. If a developer is interested in learning about how to manage teams, sign up for that course. Uh, it's, it's all part of the, the year, the annual account that we get. So that's, that's one thing. It's like learning on your own. The second thing that we do is uh, for PM specifically, this is this isn't we don't get paid by by this company, but we're really big fans of uh, Louder Than Ten, which is uh, like a, a PM training course, and they're they're amazing. Um, there's a couple of people in the bureau who are in there, and uh, I can't speak highly enough uh, of of the the way that that they teach PMs and in and uh, in, in how it applies to the type of work that that we do. Uh, the other one is hire yourself a consultant. Like hire a like kick-ass um, enterprise level seasoned 30-year vet of project management and then do a three-month engagement and have them work on your team and then examine your workflows, uh, uh, all, like, like have interview each PM, recognize what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then have, have that, that uh, or work directly with that, that PM coach. And then, and then let's lay it all out. Like, like, what are the, what are the things that we need to do? What are the things that we excel in? What are the things that, that we're, that we're not doing so good in? And then, and let us know it's worth the investment. I'll say that for sure. It's uh, I love, I, of course I'm, you're talking about these things and I'm Googling here. <laughs> <laughs> looking it I up i can so, drop you some names no um, yeah so it was star 10 it's like and then it was louder than 10 star, uh, 12. star 12 yep and then louder than 10 cool it's it's rare that we come across somebody who's mentioning stuff that i actually haven't heard of um in that case so that was that was a good one um brune do you have a follow-up otherwise i'm gonna pivot a little bit yeah go ahead go for it all right i I would love if you could tell us your origin story because yours is a fun one. And you, okay. you name dropped earlier your experience with Martha. Um, <laughs> so tell us how you started this agency. How did you get into this? A little bit about your background. Yep. Um, okay. So my background, I'll take you all the way back. So <laughs> my background the executive summary in... <laughs> version of it would work. <laughs> I'll fast forward through the first part. So I was always into art and illustration. I always thought that was going to be my thing. Um, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Quickly learned that comic book artists are, um, uh, it's a very uh, cutthroat industry to get into. Uh, and, okay. I, and I didn't have what it took to get into it. This is probably when I was around 17, 18 or so. Had a whole portfolio, thought I was going to work in Anaheim, California at Image Comics, but then that didn't pan out. So I ended up uh, in college pivoting to uh, multimedia design, which ended up being like a lot of stationary packages and graphic design. Sometimes I'd get a fun thing where I get to make like a gig poster or something like that. But uh, most of the time it just ended up being business cards and stationary. I had this one client who said, um, thanks for the stationary package and everything, but can you make me a website? And I was like, absolutely. And then I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> but I did have the back then Macromedia package where it was like freehand and flash and, and, uh, and Dreamweaver and whatnot and Fireworks. So I knew how to use Fireworks. I did everything in Fireworks. I sliced it up, exported it to Dreamweaver, figured out how to get it hosted. Back then it was on Media Temple. Uh, and, then, and then she loved it and she used it. There was no CMS or anything back then. And uh, she had that thing up for like 10 years and it was, it was like, wow, like I really, this was good. I think I'm gonna keep going with this. And she paid me like, I think it was $800 back then for like the stationary package and the website. And uh, I was, I was thoroughly 
happy with the process. So I, I, I kept this as like a little side gig as I was going through college. And, uh, and then eventually, uh, I got a job at, at, um, uh, one agency as an intern and then left that agency, went to another agency and then started as an intern there and then hired on full-time. This is still while I was going to college. And then right at that time, uh, we had a big hurricane hit here. Um, it was, uh, uh hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Mm-hmm. That displaced us and kind of sent us in a whirlwind, um, no pun intended. <laughs> and then, uh, after a couple of months when things started landing, um, I, I, I put feelers back out there for, for other specifically web related things. Cause at that time, while I was away, I was just trying to build up my skill sets in like PHP back then. I was like, I was trying to, I was thinking I was going to be a backend developer cause I'd really gotten into the code side of things. Um, and then, uh, ended up getting a job with, uh, Emeril Lagasse as the webmaster, uh, for, for, uh, uh, uh his, uh, marketing team. Um, fast forward about another year and a half. Uh, uh, there was could have uh, just said, "Bam, I got a job." With uh, I missed that Couldn't opportunity. <laughs> or how about this one? Bam, Martha acquired the, the marketing go. and e-commerce division of <laughs> of Emerald. So that meant like a lot of the the media uh, in in marketing portion, which I was part of, uh, ended up getting um, moved the home base, getting moved to New York. So that's what sent me to New York. So I ended up living in New York for a number of years. My job transitioned into front-end developer for for Martha Stewart. So in the five or so years that I was there, I worked my way up from front-end developer to director of front-end dev, which basically meant that I was in charge of the front-end dev for for the main Martha site and then the other uh, Martha Stewart weddings and whole living and the other uh, sites that that Martha had at the time. That was a fun job. I was able to meet Martha. Um, I was able to speak to Martha on the phone <laughs> on a number of occasions. I was, I was able to be in some some intense meetings with her. Uh, very smart, smart, business-minded uh, personality. Um, uh, always knew what she wanted. Very, very much uh, with it when it came to technology, and and uh, knew the right people to have in the room to talk about initiatives and new ideas and everything. So, uh, eternally grateful for that opportunity. Um, Alluding back to when I said, like, there's the the honeymoon period of living in New York when things started to get real, things started to get real, and I just missed home, and and I wanted to come back to New Orleans, and uh, I had I had put in a six month leave, a, a six month um, notice that uh, I'm going to be leaving my job, and I worked with uh, who, who I consider my mentor, Myra Tao, Ira Tao at the time, and uh, in after a while of uh, he uh, he asked me what I was going to go do, and I said I was going to go start my own thing. And uh, I was always doing side gigs because when you're working with a with a, a like a specific digital team, your code base is your code base. You don't get a lot of opportunities to kind of deviate outside of the the code base that you're working in. In front end development at that time was just like like the same way it is today. It's just it just keeps on going and going and going. And I was always trying to chase the shiny objects. Like I just wanted to get on the bleeding edge of whatever was going on. Uh, and so I, I needed to I needed ways to test all these things, and I wanted to do more of that. So um, after six months, they weren't able to really find a replacement for my position. So uh, after I let my boss know that I was going to be going back home, he asked if we could be, if, if, if Martha could be the first uh, client of mine. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, like, that sounds great. I get to like do similar work, but from home. And then I can also take on other clients too. So for the first year, uh, they signed up for 40 hours a week for a full year, which basically meant it was my one main client for, for the full year of me moving back here. Uh, I did have the opportunity to take on some other clients uh, in, uh, away from that. So back then I was probably working 70, 80 hours a week, just hustling. No kids back then, just like, just, just keeping it churning and churning and churning. Things were going well. And it was a husband and wife team because my wife had the financial background. She was good with accounting. She had just left uh, a firm in New York where she was doing accounting and office management, uh, uh, operations management for them. So it just felt like the right fit. It's like, here's the, the person who's going to be doing the developing and the biz dev and the design. Here's the person who's going to be doing all the administrative pieces. So uh, uh, let's, see how, let's see how far we can get this. And, and then so we kept it going. The next year when that contract was up, um, she had asked or, or, or my, uh, uh, my, my contact at that time had asked if they can sign on again. And, uh, and, and we had agreed on, on uh, 20 hours a week for six months. 
because that we needed to have some availability for other clients to, to be able to come in because or else I was just going to be stuck in the same position I was just remotely uh, working from New Orleans. So fortunately, I met up with these wonderful people within the network. And this is kind of the way things go. It's like everybody who you work with in, in especially in the publication industry, it gets a little incestuous. So it's like these people who I once worked with at, at, uh, at, at Martha Stewart uh, ended up going to Condé Nast or ended up going to Scripps Network or Viacom or Meredith or Time and all these other places. Uh, so some of those reached out. They were like, hey, I heard you doing your own thing. And I was like, yeah. And then we talked and they were like, hey, we'd love to bring you on board to help us out with the thing. So it was more of that started to happen. It all ended up being in the lifestyle publication in business though. So for like the first four years, 90% of the work that we did was lifestyle publications, like real simple uh, or publications in general, just like a lot of just strictly web publications. O'Reilly Media was one of them. Um, but, uh, a lot of timing stuff, but it was great. I loved it. It was, it was about at some point we needed to branch out and try other things. Um, and then that happened like through, through just word of mouth, all the more FinTech stuff started coming in or marketing websites started coming in. It's like, 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 like single page applications started to become a thing. Um, and then we hired our first person in 2006 and, uh, and she's still with us to this day. I'm sorry, 2016, that's not, not 2006. That's way too early. Uh, and I kind of like in that, in that, in that progress, like year over year, we've grown um, both uh, uh, by personnel and finances. And it's been a great ride ever since. It's definitely had its ups and downs. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with the progress. That's a, that's a wonderful story. I mean, uh, really inspiring. Now, I would like to know where 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 do you hang out now? Where where do you where do you spend your time to find your next shiny object that you have always been looking for? That's a great question. <laughs> so before I became what what I'm calling myself now, founder and CEO, um, I was director of technology. So up until about maybe a year ago, I was a resource on projects, in in. I, and that was and that was selfish of me. I know that now after having speaking to some other uh, CEOs and, and agency owners, because there comes that time. And this can kind of go back to the original question to start this podcast where you had mentioned, like, what is one of the hardest things you've done? Letting go, letting go of being. It, I also have a, a restaurant history. So I've worked in the hospitality industry for a long time in five pizza restaurants growing up. And there's a really interesting an amazing feeling about being in the weeds. Like when the tickets start coming in at, you know, five o'clock till you look at your watch, all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock and, and the kitchen's a mess. And then you got to, you know, start cleaning up. I love that. There's, a, there's like an organized, beautiful chaos that happens in, in, in a dopamine rush from it. Cause like, I love being in that, 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 that level, it's a, there's a level of stress, but it's like good stress. It feels, um, so selfishly, I I kept doing that. So for the for the longest time, I would immerse myself in projects. What I ended up doing was what I, what I called second shift, which is I guess harkens back to my restaurant days. So from like eight to twelve, eight p.m. to twelve p.m. was like when I would do the majority of like my actual coding. So I'd be addressing tickets on projects and everything, and then from like seven to four in the in the daytime is when I would be doing like like CEO stuff. Emails and communication and phone calls and whatnot, uh, and then I would get a little time with kids in the morning, a little time, a little family time in the morning, a little family time in the middle, uh, and then kind of repeated that cycle over and over again. And it wasn't until uh, it wasn't like a um, it wasn't like a, a, um, a intervention, but it was it was like uh, <laughs> like death by a thousand cuts of just people going you know, you should really scale back on the, the being involved in the projects. And, and like, we really need you here doing these other things because we're feeling like, you know, we could probably use you in, in these meetings to do those things. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be in that meeting. Y'all talking about legal stuff in that meeting. I want to be in this meeting where we're talking about like the tech stack we're using for this cool project coming up. Um, so anyway, so about a year ago, I ended up um, agreeing to everybody who was completely right and then detaching myself from all of that. And then working specifically in business development, working more with our business relationship specialists, working more with our project management team to make sure that uh, all of that stuff is running seamlessly, discussing the future, doing a lot of uh, you know six-month, one-year 
three year, five year planning and and and, Business and focusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the same. Uh, this is all mm-hmm. coming together now because it's like it's the it's the tearing myself away from the independence that I had before I had the mm-hmm. child, and this is the same. This is a therapy session. Uh, <laughs> we're here for you we got you then <laughs> tear myself away from selfishly wanting to code and uh and design and then move into the things that that the business needed me for to be a more responsible and accountable leader it's uh you know joking aside it's the business adulting is an interesting shift away from the doing into that leadership role i had a a cmo very very early in my career said that one of the hardest transitions for you in your career is going to be moving from you know, the doing into the managing because you can't control everything. You're crazy. Yes, I can. He was right, but it's totally, totally a true statement. Well, this has been a a really great conversation. A lot of, I didn't end up where I thought we were going to end up, but I have one last question for you, um, TJ. What, what is exciting you about the future? What are you looking forward to, you know, Uh, outside of a lot of the personal stuff you got cooking? I think the D-jerk thing is AI, but I don't want to go that route. Um, for us, we're all kind know. of excited about that. Let's, I, let's I think that's, a, that's the, yeah, we can just say it just goes we're all kind of excited yeah. to see what we're happens all curious there. about where things are going curious. with that okay. in, uh, in, in, in the one thing on AI I'll say is we're, we're not in any kind of like concern mode, but we are, we are trying to leverage it as much as we can to the mm. extent of um play nice using it to enhance our abilities instead of like substituting the things that we're doing now like that's kind of the bifurcation of like ai like we're we're not using the part that's taking other people's jobs or taking over our jobs what we're doing is using it to enhance things that we're currently doing like instead of um like pull requests for code run that code through ai just to get a second opinion on it before you actually submit it, submit the pull request. So little things like that. We don't do it with every project, but it's nice to get that second opinion. That's what that's what I call it. So it's like, like, check my code here. I guess it's like copy editing in a way. It's like, you know, check this for grammar, make sure it's okay. And then sometimes it'll call out things. Sometimes I'll just say, um, I was lazy at it, but comments in my code, um, comment, comment this code, and then it'll pepper comments throughout the code. So uh, so that, that's, that's, that, that I'll stop right there on the AI thing. Uh, I have, I I'm cautiously optimistic about it is, is a good way to put it. All right. That's good. But the things that really excite me, I think are, um, it's the, the, the navigating the ambiguity of our industry in being able to like make smart decisions and pivot when, when we need to. And this is one of the things that, that I'm proud of myself as, as CEO, there's hard decisions that you have to make, like laying people off is like, the most gut-wrenching thing that you can do. But then like making educated decisions based off of what you recognize that was a bad decision that you've made in the past that led to those those layoffs. And then and then instilling new processes and hiring the right people to help you with plugging those gaps and 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 uh, uh figuring out those inefficiencies and then seeing the growth from it like like the, your return on investment for those things and then all of a sudden recognizing you've been doing things wrong for a long time and that's only a little subset like there's probably going to be another like version of this that's going to happen in six months and then another six months but it's it's something there's something exciting about it maybe it, this is similar to like the kitchen chaos that that i like this is the industry chaos that we're feeling now and i think it, i think it's exciting I've, I've never once had a like i'm gonna just give this all up and go farming uh, uh i feel like a minute for the long haul and uh and i'm curious to see what comes up next and that's what keeps me going that's a good answer. Um, I don't know if I've ever had a moment where I said, I'm going to give this up and go farming. I have had the, <laughs> I'm going to give this up and go make ice cream, but. I ha- I've, I've considered buying chickens, like a, starting a chicken coop. I got a, <laughs> That's I got normal. a buddy we of mine on our team. Yeah, there you go. He's got a chicken coop and, and uh, we got a lot of mouths to feed now and all the kids love eggs. So there you go. My, my thing is the hiking. If I have to give up and go anywhere, I'll just spend my time in the mountains. You know, I, I I don't like gardening. I would, I, you know, brown thumb. All the plants like I, <laughs> I, they, I, I throw, they, you know, <laughs> they just die. So I just love nature. Anyways, thank there you. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> that should be our last question every time. Like, what would you give this all up for and go do? That will that'll be That's our next icebreaker. Yeah. That's a good opening, and you had a good opening, and that'd be a good closer. It would. 
this is this is a pivot episode for us. We're trying some new stuff <laughs> out for you with you. You so, have any template? It's true. Well, this was a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today in the episode. Um, Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. I hope so I didn't for talk those too much. No, you did great. So for those folks looking to connect with you, you're on the LinkedIn, um, both you and the company. And then it's just south left, south, south. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to say. Com. It's not southwest. It's no, south it's southwest. Left. It's like the compass direction and the gesturing direction. There it's you go. South in the left hand.com. So, there you go. Well, thank you so much. And that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about the podcast. See you next time. Thank y'all. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.